My guest today is Chuck Cross. He is a senior vice president here at CSBS, in charge of the area that manages non-bank supervision and consumer protection. For the past few years, Chuck and his team have been focused on one really big issue, the rise of non-banks in financial services and what that means for regulators, policymakers, and consumers. Since the financial crisis, consumers have been turning to non-banks more and more for valuable financial services. For instance, non-banks now originate roughly two-thirds of all home loans in the United States. At the same time, compared to depositories, non-banks present different kinds of risk that regulators have to supervise and protect consumers from. And that is what Chuck is here to talk about. As non-banks have grown their market footprint, regulators are looking at ways to modernize the regulatory approach to these entities. At CSBS, we refer to these efforts as, quote, re-engineering non-bank supervision. So what does that mean? What actions are being taken? And what are the practical benefits of such an approach? Let's go to the interview. Chuck, uh, thanks for uh, stopping by and doing this podcast with us. Great to be here, Jim. You know, uh, you've been working on a lot of interesting things. uh, uh, But, uh, you know, I guess one question is, how how did you get to where you are right now? Uh, You know, what is it in your career that prepared you kind of for the role you're performing now? You know, I think my career did sort of lead up to this point in time. Uh, I was fortunate way back in 1986 to be graduating from college with a degree that was desirable to the FDIC at a point in time they came to campus um, and I started with them shortly thereafter. Uh, Within months I found myself uh, examining banks that were failing in Alaska uh, as the whole world slipped into the SNL crisis. Um, After a few years of doing that I switched over to the state side of examining for Washington State that for a period of time and then tried my hand in private industry for a little while and in the mortgage industry fortunately because a lot of my work has ended up being with mortgage companies Uh, and uh, then uh, in 1994 uh, Washington DFI which is where I was working uh, uh, passed a new law that required a whole bunch of new supervision Uh, and I found myself actually immersed in the predatory lending environment uh, doing a lot of investigation and enforcement work, uh, uh, was promoted to enforcement chief within that division, uh, had the opportunity to do some of the biggest predatory lending cases in the country, FAMCO, AmeriQuest, Household, started to gain somewhat of a uh, national uh, reputation for some of the more complicated enforcement cases. And all those are very familiar names to all of us uh, who Unfortunately, come from that, yes, come from yeah. that industry. Yeah. Um, so. A few years later, uh, as we were starting to slip into the financial crisis, uh, CSBS asked me if I would come to the national level and pretty much do what I was already doing, um, but do it for everyone. And that was a very exciting opportunity to be able to uh, uh, do national policy uh, for non-banks, but also to uh, advise and train examiners in every state, not just in a, in a single state. 
So it was a fantastic opportunity. Uh, then in 2010, uh, the Dodd-Frank Act passed, uh, and uh, the Treasury Department called and asked uh, if they could borrow me to come on the stand-up team uh, to put the CFPB together, and CSBS loaned me out on what we call a detail assignment to, treasure, to Treasury to do that. Um, I started with Treasury in August of 2010. Uh, in fact, I was the first person from outside of Treasury to join that team to put the CFPB together. And I worked there for uh, about a half year. In fact, I stayed until the swearing-in ceremony of all of the new CFPB employees. And then I came back to CSBS and uh, put together uh, the section that I run today, which is the non-bank supervision and enforcement section. Well, that, that is, that's a terrific background. And uh, you can see uh, why, why it was so appealing to the state regulators to kind of bring you, bring you in here. Um, now, your focus right now is on uh, a phrase you use is re-engineering, but it's re-engineering non-bank supervision. Mm-hmm. First, can you tell me a little bit about what re-engineering means in your mind? And then also, why is this a priority for CSBS right now? Sure. So re-engineering, it's just a, it's just a word. You know, you look for, look for some sort of a uh, phrasing or words that can, can create energy around something. Uh, what we're talking about is, is remaking the way we do supervision. It's been entrenched uh, for 30 years in the same processes. Uh, they, they weren't bad processes. They were effective processes. But times have changed and needs have changed, and, uh, and it's time to move the state system forward in supervision. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about re-engineering. Okay, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good explanation. Thank you. So, you know, as far as why re-engineering non-bank supervision, I mean, there, there are so many ways to answer that, that question. Um, I think the first to consider is our history. Um, we slipped into the financial crisis um, uh, with not enough of us really sensing what was happening right in front of us. I mean, we were examining, we were conducting enforcement actions, but we were largely isolated from each other. We weren't communicating uh, as well as we do today. And uh, by the time we started communicating more effectively, it was sort of too late. Uh, too much had happened, and, uh, and I would liken it to uh, putting our finger in a collapsing dike at that, at that point in time. And, and now you're in an environment where more of these mortgages, not, not pay option loans, uh, fortunately, anymore, but more of the mortgages are being originated by non-banks as opposed to traditional depositories. Uh, which changes the equation a little bit for our regulators. Um, so can you walk us through sort of <clears throat> how non-banks have kind of grown in the mortgage space? You bet. And that's all part of this, have, needing to re-engineer non-bank supervision. Because you just pointed out, uh, state regulators now uh, are responsible for a much bigger share of the market. So if we're looking at, at, at the mortgage piece, for example, non-banks now control about 60% of the origination market. And they're originating about 90% of all of the FHA and VA loans, which means that they are, are primarily originating the loans that are made to low to moderate income borrowers. They also, non-banks, now comprise about 50% of the gigantic mortgage servicing market. So I think we can safely say that at this moment in time, 
non-banks are dominating the mortgage market, whereas before it was it was banks that were dominating the mortgage market. So non-banks are the purview of the state non-bank regulators. Uh, another example, uh, uh, in the last year, money services businesses have moved about $1.4 trillion uh, through the system. And these are just two players we're talking about, mortgage and MSBs, that are uh, very, very large, getting larger, and very complicated and getting more and more complicated. Yeah. So what else is driving this? Uh, you know, you, you know, when you and I have talked, you, you know, you, you do a good job of kind of walking through very practical exam- examples of what uh, state examiners do on a daily basis. Uh, so how, how does this fit? How, do, how does their activity fit in with your reengineering plans? Uh, technology allows us to go, uh, I like to say, deeper and wider into the portfolio. If we can leverage technology um, to uh, to do much of the routine, if you will, to, to look at the testable items within the loan file, uh, we, can, we, we can look at the entire portfolio very quickly, provided we can get good data in to, to, to look at that portfolio. The state examination system is a, is a system that we're just now launching with the state regulators, uh, and that is going to allow us to share information across every state, um, allow states to see each other's examination schedules and uh, be much more effective and efficient in how we schedule our examinations. The SES seems like it, the, 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 the upside potential of SES seems enormous, just because there really isn't such a nationwide system like this right now. Right. We have never had a system like this before. This is going to be a, this is going to be a game changer. SES will do for the examination side of our world what the NMLS, the nationwide multi-state licensing system, did for the licensing side of the world. And that just dramatically improves the capacity of state examiners, also improves their efficiency as well through information sharing, things like that. Absolutely. So in your mind, also, so technology seems to be a core part of reengineering. What are other parts of reengineering that, that, that are in your plan? So uh, we're still in the big picture phase of all of this. Um, it doesn't mean we're not doing a lot of things, and, and, I, and I'll touch on a few of those things we're doing, but in a sense, we're kind of uh, flying the rocket while we're building it. Uh, we're answering existing problems with technology and more advanced processes while we're looking into the future to visualize how it all comes together. So thinking about that big picture, as I look forward into the next few few years, I see six fundamental challenges and opportunities that that form the vision for this effort. The first of those is trust. Uh, Change of this magnitude, the kind of stuff I'm talking about, will require a sense of trust and partnership between regulators and the industry. We need to move away from our history of regulatory gotcha and into an environment where there's trust between the mainstream of the industry uh, and state regulators on how we change the future. We're going to have to trust each other and figure out how we do this largely together. Second, a foundation of trust is knowing that the industry and the vendors that the industry uses will embrace what I call a culture of compliance and pursue technologies that can deliver assurance around consumer protection and what we need to see in consumer protection. Third, at CSBS, we're talking a lot about a digital transformation where most of what we do is supported by data and new pathways for doing things in a more efficient and effective way. So good data is absolutely imperative for moving forward with change. 
one of our biggest challenges today is getting the companies to deliver clean data in a form that is actually usable for the regulators. Fourth is leveraging technologies that can accurately measure and assess what we need to know in order to trust the industry's commitment to compliance. This is, this is complicated stuff and integration work with vendors and lenders has been really slow, but if we can make this work, the promise of a paradigm shift in how we supervise is very real and significant reductions in burden for the industry will follow. Fifth is the requirement that we change the way we think about supervision. The information we have is already being used to identify risk and to better schedule exams and it facilitates new thinking around supervision uh, and scheduling and regulatory burden. But this might be the most difficult part of the process for us. Habits are really hard to change. We have been supervising pretty much the same way for the last 30 years. Finally, industry self-assessment is where we pivot the perspective on supervision. At this stage, the industry is entrusted to employ regulator-vetted real-time compliance technologies and what I would call a modernized future state system. You can see this in the Commissioner's 2018 aspirational goal where they said, develop a vision for implementation of RegTech solutions, industry self-assessment, and real-time supervision. This is very forward-leaning stuff for regulators. So uh, can you explain just a little bit more about like the, the whole self-assessment uh, uh, vision you have? Sure. So what CEO of a company wouldn't want the, the staff of the company to know the problems that are, that are existing with a transaction and the violations that might occur if they go forward with that transaction or that deal if they continue forward with it. What, what CEO wouldn't want their staff to know this and to be able to correct it before it happens so that, that, that the deal that's promised to the consumer is the, is the deal that they get, for example. So this, this idea of self-assessment is rooted in uh, what should be the logical desire of any company and its leadership uh, to manage their company that way. From there, regulators identify and approve the technologies that test compliance at the point that it matters, uh, you know, before the loan closes and before the money is sent, etc. That technology needs to be able to run tests on the transaction and the results need to be available instantly to both the institution and, and also to the regulators. This is what I mean by, by real-time supervision. The result of this could be absolutely amazing. Consumers get what's right, companies know in the moment that they have gotten it right, and regulators can see the compliance as it's happening. The result should be a significant reduction in regulatory burden for everyone. That's terrific. I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a very aspirational uh, vision. Um, you know, the other things that you've been working on, like, you know, we've seen, excuse me, the series of uh, uh, policy papers being, uh, that, that your team's being produced. And I think those are just sort of a, a sampling of the, action, the many action items you're doing. You want to talk a little bit about the, the goal of these policy papers and then the other actions uh, you're, you're pursuing? Sure. When we started thinking about uh, re-engineering non-bank supervision roughly a couple of years ago, um, we were talking about it and, and you know, very preliminary, very broad, 
brushstroke concepts. And, and the commissioners uh, realized that at, at that point in time, they really needed a roadmap, um, some sort of a guide for reengineering non-bank supervision. So they tasked us with, with developing uh, a paper that would be this, this roadmap uh, that would show the world first what this non-bank industry is and then how is it supervised. As far as I can determine, no one has ever crafted a document like this where we're looking at the entire landscape of the non-bank industry, explaining how it's supervised, and then providing a vision of what supervision will look like in the future. So we began releasing the paper uh, by chapters back in June. We first released a chapter on an overview of the non-bank industry. What is it? We just got that out there. What is this, this large uh, area of the marketplace that we're talking about. And when you say non-bank, we're talking about mortgage companies, money services, businesses, uh, consumer finance companies, debt collectors, yes. and some other niches. Yes. In total, there are about, let's say, two dozen industry types that fall into this, this master category of non-bank uh, industry. Okay. We followed on uh, that uh, first chapter with a chapter covering uh, supervision of the non-bank industry. Again, this is something that I think has never been explained before. Uh, how does it work? How do the laws and rules come into being that the regulators uh, rely on as supervising the industry? How does the industry get a license? What are the mechanisms behind that? How are they examined on a regular basis? Uh, under what criteria are they examined? How are the, exams, the examinations done? Uh, when things need to move to enforcement, how does that process work? What are the administrative rights that exist for companies in that process? When the state regulators need to work with federal agencies, how do they go about doing that? Who, who's on first kind of thing? Uh, when things are really bad and, and referrals have to be made to law enforcement, how is that process uh, done? So uh, the chapter pretty much covers uh, A to Z on non-bank supervision. And we followed with uh, a very substantive chapter on the non-bank mortgage industry. And then just last week, we released a chapter, which is an overview on money services businesses. We're now following on with the chapter on consumer finance, which is a very broad uh, subject matter area and covers uh, payday lending, title loans, uh, smaller consumer loans, auto lending, student lending, things like that. We'll follow that with a chapter on debt collection, because debt collection is where Things end up when they when they go awry, and it's a very important part of supervision and, and consumer protection. Our final chapter, which will come out in early 2020, will be a chapter that identifies the risks to the state system and then the vision forward that, that the commissioners are, for, are formulating, a look forward into what this world of re-engineered supervision will actually look like. Right, and for our listeners, uh, all these policy papers are on uh, the CSBS website, csbs.org. Just you know, use the search bar, enter "reengineering non-bank supervision," and you'll get a nice page that has all these chapters uh, uh, on there. And they look good too. They're they're, they're fantastic uh, documents that you can print out with a lot of graphics in them, and and these so these chapters are designed so that anyone can read them. It's, it, we had a, a large um, stakeholder uh, landscape to try to um, uh, reach in, in doing this, uh, this paper. Uh, everyone from consumers, 
all the way up to uh, to Capitol Hill and everyone in between, uh, federal regulators, state regulators, um, advocates, uh, uh, the industry itself. We wanted to be able to reach everyone. So they're written uh, in a way that, that virtually anyone could pick these documents up and have a very good and somewhat deep understanding of the non-bank industries and how they're supervised and, and, and a fairly quick read. And it creates a nice uh, uh, base level of in- information and knowledge uh, of the of the industry uh, across, and then the uh, the vertical sectors uh, w- within the industry. Uh, you have other activities lined up. I know uh, uh, this is what uh, this is sort of toward the end of October. We're getting up on Halloween, um, but uh, you have a, a big uh, conference coming up uh, in a few weeks. Uh, you want to talk about it? Sure. We have been spending about well, roughly the last year um, uh, becoming a little bit deeper versed uh, and the financial condition of non-bank mortgage companies. This is largely because we, we've watched non-banks take over a greater and greater market share. Um, we, we, we first uh, started asking questions around uh, non-bank financial condition back in 2015. Uh, looked into that fairly deeply when the market was still fairly stirred up, uh, but the market got better. Uh, companies uh, coming out of the crisis became more compliant, if you will. Uh, there were different types of products and less consumer harms. However, in, in very recent times, roughly the last five years, we've seen a real surge in the growth of, of non-banks. And we've started asking questions around the financial condition, the safety and soundness, and, and what we call the prudential standards for these non-banks. You know, what, what should their financial condition be if they're if they are uh, responsible for such an important part of the marketplace. One of the things we're doing to inform us uh, better on this is holding a National Mortgage Policy Summit. This will happen on November 13th in Washington, D.C. We're bringing in policy leaders from all over the country. We We have congressmen, we have agency heads, we have consumer advocates, we have um, uh, industry consultants. We've we've got uh, a lot of players, academics, uh, state regulators, uh, coming together to uh, to tackle a series of issues and see if we can come out with some answers that will help inform us uh, where we should be with prudential standards and financial condition requirements for these very large non-bank mortgage companies. Yeah, I, I look I look forward to that. Um, um, when you have all of this uh, wrapped up in a nice little bow, Chuck, at the end of the day, what, what's the net impact uh, that you want to kind of see happen? Uh, yeah. So uh, reengineering non-bank supervision uh, will require us to change the way we think about and approach supervision. To get there, we need to visualize the end state of a transformed supervisory system, and then we need to start building towards that vision. Uh, this is going to require us to change the way we think about and approach supervision. And in order for us to achieve success, we'll need to create trust between industry, consumers, and regulators. And this is going to be a paradigm shift in thinking and approach where new tools and information give consumers and regulators confidence and trust. Industry self-assessment will reduce burden and incentivize what I call a culture of compliance. And this idea of real-time supervision fosters a future of regulator trust but verify where regulatory burden on industry is dramatically reduced. 
But this is not a zero-sum game. Uh, this is a, a scenario where everyone can be a winner. Uh, that that sounds awesome. Uh, you have a lot on your plate, uh, Mr. Cross. Um, I think at the end of the day, this is, you know, in a way, the, you know, you and the regulators are sort of catching up, uh, not catching up, but adjusting to the fact that there's been this enormous growth in the non-bank sector within financial services, generally speaking. And you're now sort of saying, oh, what what should a modern supervisory system look like for this growing, growing sector? Is that a fair description? That is that is quite fair, uh, and and I appreciate you summarizing that and and that description. That's great, Chuck. Thanks for uh, stopping down uh, and chatting with us. I really appreciate it, uh, and uh, best of luck. Thanks, Jim, and hope we can come back and tell you about some of our successes in a few months. We'll look forward to it. Thanks, Chuck. Now, if you want to follow more podcasts from CSBS, we're available on all the major podcasting apps, including Apple Podcasts. Just hit the subscribe button or check us out on our website, csbs.org. Just go to the newsroom and you can easily find our pods there. I'm Jim Kurtzke. See you next time.